Welcome to the EJS podcast on the Liberty Block. I'm Elliot filling in for Stephen due to a death in the family. We have Mike, Ed, and Jody here. This podcast is being recorded live and will be posted later on the Liberty Block podcast. You can find more at libertyblock.com. If you have any comments or feedback or questions, or you want to yell at us, email us at ejsshow at protonmail.com, and we can go ahead and introduce ourselves. Hi, everyone. I'm Jody. Hey, everyone. This is Ed. Hope everybody's doing well. And Mike in New Jersey. And we don't have Ed Powell yet, but we might. Who knows? We might have him soon. So we didn't even have time to throw together any official show notes, but I'm sure we still have plenty to talk about. I know there's a lot of national news and there is a lot of news in New Hampshire. In fact, there's more drama than ever. I'm involved in the drama, apparently, which I probably don't want to talk about. But there's always a lot going on in New Hampshire. There's a lot of good and a lot of bad. But before we get to that, what's been going on with you guys? Anyone want to jump in with anything that excited them over the past week with national news? Oh, there's a lot of stuff, right? Yeah. What did you have? I always I always like to come here and learn. Um, and there was, I'm sure you guys heard Jen Psaki with her statement. Um, we know that federal law overrides state law. And so I just want to have a conversation about that statement and uh, obviously hear from our attorney. You knew that would trigger me, didn't you? I did not. <laughs> I didn't even know you were going to be here when I wrote my notes. Mm, well, yeah. <laughs> Anytime they say federal law trumps uh, state law. We don't need Ed Maslich, the lawyer, to tell us that the 10th Amendment and 9th Amendment exist. We know that. Um, yeah, before Ed goes at it, what would I say? I would say, screw her, state sovereignty over federal government. And again, with anything that was not explicitly said in the Constitution as enumerated powers for the central government, it falls onto the states and or the individuals. So I don't know if she was talking about uh, vaccine mandates. I think she was referencing Texas banning vaccine mandates. She said federal law trumps state law super arrogantly. No, screw that. Absolutely not. That's a, a state issue, not a federal issue. But Ed, uh, what are your thoughts about it? Well, I just think the humorous thing is we just spent the last four years or you know, four years during the Trump administration listening to how states can, can avoid federal law and create sanctuary cities yeah. and decide whether they're going to cooperate with federal officials uh, you know, it's the Democrat states that started the legalized marijuana movement. Uh, as far as I know, marijuana is still prohibited under the federal uh, drug laws. Uh, they don't seem to care about that. Uh, they don't care about immigration law. They don't care about uh, they don't care about anything that that doesn't you know, that doesn't fit their agenda. So it's sort of a heads I win, tails you lose mentality for them. They they think that if federal law works to their benefit, then they'll invoke the supremacy clause. If state law works to their benefit, then they'll invoke the 10th Amendment and states' rights and state sovereignty. Uh, it, there's nothing principled about their, their position. There's nothing constitutional that moors their position. They are purely uh, opportunists. But if Jen Psaki insists, then I guess New Hampshire has to go full independent because as long as we're in the union, federal law will totally overrule all state law. Okay, I guess we'll go totally independent. And as you guys know, the legislation to put independence on the ballot next year has nine sponsors. So it's a very serious bill in New Hampshire right now. Nine sponsors out of how many in the legislature though? 400. <laughs> Need a few more. <laughs> yep. Well, the, the maximum is 10 and John Burt wanted to sign on. He just didn't get a chance but before the deadline. So we would have had 10 and at least a few dozen more around 50 to 80 more have told me they will vote for it. So we probably have 50 to 100 votes. And every day, Biden pushes more and more people 
away from the idealist thinking that we can save the whole country and they start coming around and thinking maybe we do have to be independent because there's no other way we're ever going to have freedom. Well, I don't know if we can save the whole country, but the, the problem with the secession movement that I know you're, you're leading in New Hampshire is these people won't let you go and they won't leave you alone. They don't want you to be right. able to just live as you choose in your own state. They, they want to run your life and they, will, they won't let you go. And if you do go, they will do everything they can to infiltrate you the way the Free State Project has tried to infiltrate New Hampshire now. Well, I, I would say we, we reinforced New Hampshire's already libertarian values. Um, you know, that sounds better than infiltrate. And, and it, it is true. We are a very free state. But yeah, what you just said is that if you leave, they'll kill you. In an abusive relationship, if you had a friend who was being abused by her spouse and her husband would kill her if she leaves, that, is that more reason to stay or more reason to leave? The fact that she's living with a murderous psychopath, that's more reason to leave. It's more reason, it's more reason to kill the psychopath. Well, I, I got in trouble a few days ago for calls to <laughs> violent self-defense, apparently. Um, so I, I don't want to invoke any, any violence or anything, even self-defense, um, even though I do believe that you can use force in self-defense. But yeah, you know, leave or use self-defense. Yeah, so but that's what I mean. Like a lot of these things I hear, you can't uh, leave, they'll kill you. That's, that is more reason to leave an, an abusive partner. And again, I, no, no, nobody's under any reason. The, the other problem is- I'm not saying that's not reason to leave. I'm saying that right. you won't be able to leave. They'll keep following you. They yeah, won't yeah. leave you alone. Yes, and no, they, they might not. They might let us go peacefully. The, the plan, the hope, ideally, is to go peacefully. They might let us go. They might be better. They might try to hurt us physically. They might try to embargo us or hurt us in other ways, for sure. Yeah, they will be yeah. very angry. That, that's why the analogy isn't perfect, because in the abusive relationship, you would say that the husband has all the arms. He's more well-armed. He controls the food supply. He controls the energy supply. <laughs> and if you leave, you have nothing. Yes, that well, that is how it often is in marriages and in this case. And that's why in, in the novel that I'm working on that hopefully one day in my dreams I can finish is I'm going to take all of these quotes that I just heard from Ed and all the other people who have reservations or concerns or challenges about independence. I'm going to take real quotes. You can't leave. They'll kill you. And I'm going to put them in the book as the friend telling the protagonist, you can't leave him. He'll kill you. And, and then I'm going to you know try to resolve all of these these concerns. Right. Well, I mean, just responding to what Mike said, it's, to me, it's not that New Hampshire or any other state would be poor or would have a really hard time being independent. Maybe they would the same way that the battered spouse would have a hard time being independent and not having the, the abusive husband's money. But the difference is that the, if, the, if the abusive husband isn't going to stop until you until if the abusive husband is going to keep following you no matter where you go then at some point you have to confront the, the abusive husband and that's what the secession movement doesn't seem to be addressing at some point you're just going to have to confront this evil and and defeat it rather than run away from it um, i'm not saying that running away is the wrong thing or that it's a bad thing i'm just saying that it's the, not the, the end the nature of, of what they're doing Exactly, Jody. Yeah. It's not the end. There's no end unless you stand up to them and punch them in the mouth and get rid of them. Or other states also secede at the same time, and particularly the large ones like California and Texas. You know, if it's New Hampshire on its own, I, I think that the screws are just obviously. People I mean, you know, I I agree. Very hard. Even if we even if that happened and states actually managed to co to secede. 
they'd still come after those states somehow. I think, Ed, you're right. I don't think even under that scenario, they're just going to say, oh, okay, bye. I think it would continue to be um, the, the killing of anything that they just. The bottom line is that right now, everyone agrees that, that right now it's not working, right? And again, I'm, I'm working on an article I want to publish soon. As soon as I have time, I'll finish it. But people say we just need the next election, 2022, we're finally <laughs> going to make Congress perfect. We've been saying that every day for 240 years. Next election, we're going to get pro-liberty people in Congress. They'll totally drain the swamp and fix it. When you say the same thing every day for 240 years, because we said it, our father said it, our father's father, right? So essentially us saying the same thing every day for 240 years, that's the definition of insanity, right? Saying the same thing, getting different results, expecting better results, right? So so clearly it's not- well, It hasn't working, been so for 240 years though. What's that? It hasn't been for 240 years. I mean, there were times when we had a decent union. Yes and no. I mean, in 1776 or 1789, for about one second, it was decent. The next second after George Washington took over in 1789 is the, or 1791 as the first president, the next second, there was the Whiskey Rebellion and a lot of issues, and he crushed the rebellion, imposed taxes because we needed to pay back the war, the war debts, then other issues. Then Washington and even Jefferson became a bit of tyrants, even though Jefferson was the, the most pro-liberty president ever. Then the next president, Adams, a lot of tyrannical issues. So we had a lot of horrible tyranny from the get-go. So from the, the second that we, we you know, passed, amended, the, ratified the Constitution, there were a lot of tyrannical issues. Obviously, it got a lot worse in uh, around 1800 with uh, Marbury v. Madison or whatever, and a lot worse in 1860 with Lincoln the tyrant, and a lot worse in 1910 and 1930 with the Roosevelts. So, you know, there were stages, and then LBJ and Obama, it got a lot worse. But pretty much since 1789 or 1791 or you know, it's been really tyrannical for a, a lot of reasons that you guys probably know better than me because you know more history, but there was a lot of tyranny even before 1800. Well, and also, you know, not once earlier in the show or, or prior to the show have I said the solution is to, to vote our way out of it. I, I'm not saying that we have to keep waiting for the next election and, and be more persuasive. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, I, I'm as a, as a professional who's seeking licensure, I have to be careful about some of the things that I say, but uh, voting is not the only way to confront this tyranny. Mm-hmm. I'll just say it like that. Yeah. When I, when I think about state independence, like breaking up the union versus other stuff, and the only, generally besides civil disobedience, the, the only other mechanism is voting, I'd say clearly it hasn't worked every day for 240 years. It's only made things worse. That's why I get frustrated when people, again, not you guys, but when people say, no, we don't need to secede. We just need to vote better people in. It's so tired. You know, I've been saying the same thing forever. It's not going to work. We only ever elect worse people because that's how elections work. Elections are a mechanism to find the worst, most corrupt tyrants and put them in office. That's what elections are. Yeah, I don't think uh, that's what they are. They don't have to be. I mean, sure. listen, I, I think if, if you're of the mindset that the next election, if we just give the Republicans control of Congress and two years later, it's DeSantis is the president and everything's going to be wonderful. I think you're just very naive at this point. Isn't that I mean, what the I, I don't know what Levin and Shapiro are saying? I think some of them probably do. I, I mean, I, I, I'm talking more about rank and file, you know, people who are our peers philosophically. I think some I, of them, I hear it all the I time. think some I of them still, still think that way. From a lot of people, they, they just, say we need to vote better people in because, you know, they, they don't have brains or they don't understand you know, any or history. Maybe they just view and it some as- some say we need to break up union. Those are the two things. I, I think some of them also just see it as, I just want to stop what's going on. And that's at least maybe you're just going to put a stop to it to some extent, but it, it doesn't ever really do that completely either. Or maybe it slows it down to some extent, but that's about it. 
So, um, you know, look, the, the bigger issue, and, you know, certainly we've talked about this, is we don't have the system we're supposed to have. We have a monstrosity of a federal government. We have a lot of centralized power that we're never supposed to have. And by virtue of that, we have people in Congress and a president that are more powerful than they're supposed to be, right? And then there's less that we can actually do to control it. And it's certainly not, by, every an mechanism to not, by, an, uh, not by an election. Yeah, every way uh, we've tried to weaken it. the federal government has either done nothing or it's yeah. actually made matters worse. Right. I mean, we so have that's that's the only that's the only way theoretically is to, to roll it all back and put the genie back in the bottle. And I don't think well, any of us think that that's really feasible right now. Speaking of you know what elections might accomplish, I, I got an alert not long before we started recording this afternoon that Tom uh, Manchin from West Virginia is considering leaving the Democrat Party. And, you know, I, I personally would rather that if he does that, that he just become an independent and caucus with Republicans. But I think it's a good exercise to think about how much of a difference that would make if he left the Democrat Party and voted with Republicans and effectively gave Republicans control of the Senate for the next year. Well, if you would made McConnell leader in your life. Yeah, that would make, again, a little difference because McConnell and Schumer are not that far apart. But yeah, it would, it would make a little bit of difference. It seems like McConnell is decent on the judges, at least. So that's a difference. But again, I think he looks a lot like Schumer. So it'd be interesting. Actually, he's in West Virginia, right? And the West Virginia governor a few years ago did wet, go from Democrat to Republican. He did defect. Yeah. The well, the, the other, the other thing who, is, I'm well, sorry. I was just to say the guy who's, the problem with the guys who defect like that is they tend to be rhino types, Republican in name only. And once they become Republicans, it's really hard to dislodge them. The only one who dislodges them is another Democrat. So well, that's why but, I'd rather that he not become a Republican, let him caucus with the Republicans as an independent. Was he reelected the last cycle? Manchin's been there a while, I believe. Yeah, I think he was I'm, I'm wondering. 18. Okay, I don't think it was this year. I mean, otherwise I would say if he were up next year, then he's reading the tea leaves and he's worried about his own seat. He could still be worried about that even in 24. Given well, cinema cinema so, has talked about becoming an independent as well, and she's reading the tea leaves too. I mean, look, the, that there's always an element of save my own hide when you're switching parties. <laughs> I think, uh, anyway. So I, I think I brought this up before, but but don't don't we kind of maybe wonder if the problem really isn't government and politicians as we talked before we can do sure. we can do all these things but in the end really uh i don't, i feel like it's not even just cultural anymore because i used to say that all the time it's about the culture the corruption and the collusion between politicians and government and what should be free markets no longer free uh markets is so bad i don't even know if if even if we change the culture, if that collusion between those huge players in our society, even culture can't control or change those anymore. Right. Well, so so the ruling- then what is the solution? If that if that's really, I mean, can't fight it politically, culture can't fight it. What is the solution then? How do you fight those two giant behemoths that are, you know, working together to prevent? Our freedom. Fascism. Though. Government working together with the, with the businesses is yep. the definition of fascism. 
And no, again, so you can't solve that with government. You can't exactly. solve so that. So there are two parts. There's big business and there's government. Some people say we need to get rid of big business. Then we're left with this government. I say yeah. let's get rid of government. Then we're left with an actual free market. Yeah, and no, without I government agree. protecting them and colluding with them and being in bed with them and making the vaccine mandates, you know, without that, we would actually have a free market. I know some people think that big corporations could be evil and some could be, but with 100% open competition, those would be rooted out in an instant. Because again, like, like Facebook, the only reason it's propped up is because Section 230 gives it trillions of dollars worth of legal protections, essentially like uh, in-kind donations, you know, support because Section 230 keeps, lets them act like a publisher, but pretend they're a platform. So it's things like that. Facebook is not necessarily the culprit. It's Facebook being in bed with the government that is evil. Yeah. If the government didn't exist, Facebook would have real competition or they would have been sued by, you know, or have some kind of other liability. How could, the, how could it be sued if there were no government? There'd be no courts. There'd be no well, judges. Well, there'd be some, kind, be... Of li- some kind of liability. You know, mm, there'll be somebody no, to do it, or they would be. just have competition. <laughs> huh? It would, there would be some kind of competition because right now they're given some estimate hundreds of billions or trillions of dollars a year in essential, essentially what is legal, uh, uh, legal fees right, donations so you, because they don't have to use legal fees. So what you're really calling for is an end to subsidies, not an end to government. That's well, really the subsidy. This is for. a complicated subsidy. Section two hundred and thirty is a, a you know a, a weird kind of subsidy, but yeah, an end to subsidies and and minimize government so it, it's either barely existent or non-existent. Again, the government was created, and this is why I always say government was created for one reason: to protect our natural rights, like life, liberty, pursuit of happiness, and property. Not only do they consistently actually, that's not them, why the federal government wasn't protect, created for that. It was created to protect us from foreign threats. The state governments were supposed to protect our natural rights and our yeah our both so our, our safety so protect us from from foreign threats and safety and state governments and more local to, to protect our natural rights. Not only do they fail, and on, on, I'll talk about foreign defense in a second too, but they are the biggest violators of our property. Again, my biggest consistent violator of my property rights is the government. It's my town government, the state, and the federal government violates my property by stealing half my property. They steal off my money. That's violating property rights. So yeah, they protect but, it. They do the opposite. That that's that's. There's a lot of truth to that, but you have to look at what's, you know, what's going on today in today's world. And what's happening today is that you've got the Democrat Party in power and it's using the government to uh, co-opt private businesses to do what government would otherwise be lim- restricted from doing. So right now in 2021, 2022, I would argue that it's, it's the private sector that's doing even more because it's it's acting at the government's uh, request. And so it's I mean, I don't think that you can say that the government is your biggest violator right now, uh, unless you want to just lump them together and say that these companies are acting as agents of the government. And I'm sympathetic to that. They are. You convinced me of that. They absolutely are. They've been deputized by the government. Every company, every company in the United States has been deputized by the government to violate me because the government can't really get away with it. It's that simple. And that's the argument you convinced me of. It's very right. clear. Right. But so it's not just the government that's violating your rights, though. The government, the government is saying, and some of their allies and partners and co-conspirators right. and deputies. You know, the government is whispering in the ear of, of Facebook, you know, of Zuckerberg and, and uh, you know, all these other guys who, you know, not just social media, but, you know, Jeff Bezos and just whispering in their ear, this is what we want, you know, raise your wages to $15 an hour. So you agree without how government, these issues wouldn't be issues. If the government were, were tiny or non-existent. I think anarchy creates other problems too. You well, know? We haven't really tried it. And the closer we get to anarchy, the better it is. 
So we've let's keep seen anarchy. We've seen anarchy. We've had anarchy the last year when the police stand down when when riots are happening in the cities. Uh, no, I will not allow that to stand. Absolutely not. Objection. That's not anarchy. You can't say Seattle's anarchy. They have horrifically strict gun control, which is a law, which also makes things less safe. They tax away half their half the citizens' money, and they have billions of other laws, right? So anarchy means literally zero laws. If we had no laws, we could have safety. Every place would be as safe as New Hampshire. New Hampshire is the closest in the United States to anarchy, and New Hampshire is the best place. Wyoming is the second closest place to anarchy. They have the least laws, the smallest government, and it's the second best place, right? The furthest from anarchy is communist New York, New Jersey, and California, and they are the worst places in every single way, right? So Could the closer we get to anarchy, meaning libertarian, is the best, the better. But you don't know that if those places go actually all the way to anarchy, that chaos doesn't ensue. I mean, I could be pretty. I could be pretty sure. And why? Why? When why? Look, when I look at the the buildings that were burned and and the the mobs that were terrorizing the streets, I mean, I'm, not, I'm all for people being able to arm themselves and 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 protect themselves, but I don't see how you can say that uh, increasing the amount of violence in the streets is going no, to lead. No, again, good. people have this misconception that anarchy means violence. Anarchism, again, and you can define it however you want. Anarchism in the modern intellectual sense among every respected pro-liberty person on the right side of the aisle and almost everyone in the world is defined as the pure respect of property rights as the ultimate doctrine for society. Property rights, meaning pure respect of property rights. Elliot, you can't have property without a government to protect that property. No, we can't have property with the government violating the property. There's no such thing as property without a government and a court. Who, who, who prevents somebody from coming and stealing my dog or my who prevents, car? Who prevents it now? Who prevents well, someone from stealing law. my dog? No, I mean, doesn't. thefts still happen now. Billions of thefts happen every year. Yeah, but not on that massive scale where they could just, I, there's no recourse. Billions of thefts. Do you think there'd be even more not. theft? Absolutely. Look at, you talk about theft. Look at places like San Francisco that have banned petty, petty larceny. It's the and, opposite of anarchy. That's, that's a police state. It is no, a that's anarchy. They're saying we're we're, we're lawless. Not we're not going to par- prosecute. That's, it's up that's to the lawless. To protect their stuff. That's, that's selective that's anarchy in a, in a communist authoritarian republic. North Korea has selective anarchy where they don't prosecute cops who beat people. Right? I wouldn't well, call North Korea anarchy. What, what, so again, what? the spectrum you all have to understand is is the, the, is maximum government, which is North Korea and China's over here, and then United States, and then freedom. And there's freedom over here with no government and people respecting property rights. And again, I will concede that it's only for a people that is not a savages, like like I think Ben Franklin said. If, if there's no law, there's anarchy, and I come in and I shoot you to death, what 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 is going to happen to me? My relatives or friends or the neighborhood may do justice to you and do what they think you deserve, which might be the death penalty or life in prison. And that's Wait, decent. That what about right now? So what is the current? What's the current? By who? What's the current? Um, paradigm how does it work now if someone shoots someone if if you have a certain skin color you might get off forever right sorry we're getting a message about it. <laughs> sorry we're getting a message <laughs> they said our debate is getting too they might shut us down so yeah what what's the paradigm now if someone shoots someone they might get off it might take 45 yeah, years to convict them and it costs taxpayers a trillion dollars right so it right might, now, or they might get say we have a perfect system now. We don't we have a horrific system now. I'm saying if government didn't exist or was extremely small, it would be better than now. Because right now it's not good. Jody, I think you said we might have theft and murder. We do have theft and murder. No, I agree with that. No, no, but but I think- Elliot, that was, that was just a tremendous equivocation, right? You're, you're trying to argue that government shouldn't exist or it should be really small. 
Those are not the same thing and they don't belong in the same lumping. I, I think they're extremely close. close. A, a tiny minuscule government that does nearly nothing and a government that does nothing are very close. Or a government that, that can do whatever they want as long as they don't violate property rights. That's but also you're, in the mix. You're, but you're saying, but your other arguments discredit and discredit any legitimate role for government. So you can't have it both ways. You're saying that there's some small little role for government that's okay, but that government is completely illegitimate and it's always violating rights. Yeah, you can't I, I have it both ways on that. You're right. I, I think I think the one way to resolve that is by saying, I am fine if a government exists or anyone who calls themselves government, as long as they don't violate pro- natural rights, like property rights. Again, I can say I'm a government and I'm going to do trash pickup for whoever wants to pay me for trash pickup. I'm not going to hurt anyone. I'm not going to take a gun and put it to Mike's head and say, you better pay me for your trash and fire department every month. I'm fine with government. And that's why someone corrected me. My friend Etienne Blabouti, who wrote that book about anarchism, corrected me and said, don't call it anarchism, call it voluntarism, because a government can exist as long as it's voluntary. And again, as long as you could opt in or opt out, I'm totally fine with government existing. Again, if I said in the past, I'm sorry, I take it back. I'm wrong. Call me a a stupid flip-flopper. That's fine. Government can exist as long as it's 100% voluntary and never, ever violates property rights of a peaceful person. Meaning never taxes government. me, never tells me I can't own a certain item, never violates property rights, and never spies on me. Then I'm totally fine with anything existing, even if a group calls themselves government because they'll have no power. Does that make sense? Government isn't by its nature coercive. You can't, you can't have a purely voluntary government. That's not government. Well, you, you, you could in a sense that it would provide services. And, and I explain in my book, Taxation is Theft. No, then you'd have a corporation. That, would be, that wouldn't be government. It? Yeah, you can call it that. Call, again, call it whatever you want. I explain in this book how we can totally have all the services we have now, great, beautiful fire departments and, and you know, even some protection like patrol or police or whatever and uh, roads and highways without any taxes. The government can raise billions a year without any taxes. It's all the book. I've explained it in many articles. So again, I'm fine with that existing because it wouldn't harm me. It would be like Walmart. It would be a regular private uh, entity, call it a corporation if you want, but as long as it's voluntary, everything should be voluntary. And we, we all understand that in the bedroom, but we say what the government could take half your money because a few people voted. That, that's what I can't understand. And I used to believe it, but I, I can't believe it anymore. So c- do any of you believe that taxation is okay as long as a majority of voters voted for one person and he could tax you whatever he wants? I think some small amount of taxation is acceptable, yes. So on principle, do you see why I think if theft is bad, all theft is bad? I mean, I don't think all taxation is theft. Then at what point is it theft and what point is it not theft? If it take half my money or a quarter of my I mean, money? That's like saying at what point does night become day? There's no exact point, but there is a night, there is a day. If I take property from you, that's pretty clear though. If I, if I take your money, mm-hmm. it's a violation of, of property rights. And, and again, the sick thing is that it's not even necessary. In a different universe where taxation were 100% necessary or there would be no roads and people would die, you know, people would starve to death then maybe there's some moral argument or principled argument, maybe or a practical application. But again, in this book, I prove the, the state government budget of six billion a year can raise six billion a year easily without any taxes. They can do their welfare, all their other BS and without any taxes, you don't uh, need taxes. I don't think they so, could do so welfare, there, but they could, they could probably do their essential functions on a voluntary basis. Are there, so they could raise there, six billion, which is their entire budget. So they could do all the things they currently do. Are, are there contracts in your volunteer stand? 100%. Every, everything would be... Would be but how, does it, how do they get enforced? If That's I, a great if question. I, and if and I, we've discussed if that I commit, on previous shows. If I commit fraud on you, where, where do you go for justice? Well, in short, we had on Etienne Labouti, who wrote the book, one of the books on anarchism, and he, he explained everyone would, would, almost every single person would have uh, security companies like they have uh, 
simply safe and ADT and breaks and all that. And they would do a little bit more than security. They would also have armed people who would help enforce your contracts. And what, like the mafia. great thing is that is that like almost like lawyers or insurance companies that are better at negotiating. Because when I crash with my Geico and you have State Farm, they're really good at negotiating. It's not you and me fighting it out in the streets. They Those insurances have a great relationship, talk to each other every day. They'll work it out. Same thing if you violate a contract or violate my property. My ADT would call your Brinks. They would settle it. They would look at the contracts and settle it extremely quickly and say, we've determined you've got to pay him 40 bucks in damages. Done. And that's it. You know, very simple, How are you getting just, my money? No, no, no. Mike, let me just say, I mean, that just completely ignores what 50% of the country stands for today. They no would sense. create insurance companies, so-called insurance companies, whose sole mission would be to steal your money. They would no, be, it would be to protect and force aimed at you. Huh? It would be to protect your property and enforce contracts. Well, that's your insurance company, that but somebody else is going to create an insurance company that's going to attack you. You think? Do you think that kind of shifts a lot of power to those insurance companies to where they would be corrupt? Remember, in a free market, bad players are pushed that, out of the market. The truly the evil ones that become mercenaries would be pushed out of the market, or they would conquer you. Well, again, with free competition, it will be very hard to conquer. And once one is an evil, again, they have an incentive to keep people alive because if they kill their clients and their and their other potential clients, they don't have any clients and they get bad PR and they lose clients. So, you know, in the natural free market, people want to have good PR and more but, clients and more but money. Elliot, and that has behave. never happened in the world. We've never had a free market history. in the world. We've never had anything. Why not? I mean, people, people have free will. They could create that free market. That's the whole freaking point. People don't want that. And you're, you're setting up a system that would allow them to create these mercenary companies and call themselves insurance companies, and they would just become like Somali warlords. Okay, I mean that's, so, that's again. Let's look at the, the current system. Currently, we have warlords, but if they wear blue, they're allowed to kill whoever they want. So we currently have that. But I'm not, saying allow is not allowed to kill whoever they want. That's bogus. Of course, they can. The government can kill whoever they want. They are the government. They make the law. They are the law. Right? Government agents are are punished one out of every few thousand times. Right? So they, they could do whatever they want. Again, we've never had a free market. When people say the free market's failed and all that stuff, that's an AOC ridiculous communist talking point. We've never had anything close to freedom. In Britain, Forget we had America. a monarchy. Forget about America, Elliot. Where in the world has that happened? I mean, if that's the way it would work, why hasn't any system developed where people voluntarily move to that model? Because governments always happened. become the warlord. We, we have governments. There's no place without a government. But Elliot, there were times, I mean, it, we didn't settle the whole globe until recently. I mean, there was plenty of free land for people to go and, and create new societies. Why didn't they? There were Why communities and some did well, and eventually they were all conquered by big governments. I mean, there are communities, but again, in modern day, again, I don't know if there was one tiny community in China a thousand years ago, but in modern day, in this world or the last few hundred years, there has been never been anything close to freedom. The closest is New Hampshire which does phenomenal because we have the smallest government. We'd all agree here. I think that there is a, a near perfect correlation between the size of government and the scope of the power and individual rights and freedom and, and overall good quality of life and prosperity. Who here would deny that Wyoming and New Hampshire are better places than New, 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 New Hampshire? I think that the size of government is less important than the cultural values of the citizenry. Uh, I, I would easily argue that one. Maybe they go hand in hand a little bit. Of course, they do to an extent. I think but, they but do, for, Jody. I, I for think instance, Wyoming is very conservative. New Hampshire's people are very liberal. So, you know, so we have people that are liberal, but still we have the most overall freedom and best quality of life. So I, I think, you know, some people are more liberal, some are more conservative. And as long as there's a culture of freedom and, and limited government, 
skepticism of government, strong individual rights than any, yeah, obviously culture is important, but any state could do well as long as there is a culture of freedom over everything else. You think New Hampshire is more free than the independent states of America after the revolution? No, no. You don't? Okay, because I thought that that's kind of what you were saying there. That... <laughs> no, no I, I think in 1790, every state was a lot more free than any state is now. Again, it was very close to anarchy. It, 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 there was essentially no government. There's very little government. When it was limited government, the way that yep. it was pretty much supposed to be. Okay. But things don't stay that way. It's a I understand. The natural tendency is, yeah. is for government to grow and liberty to seed ground. Yep. I, 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 I get that. But I think early America, newly established United States at the time, 1789, whatever you want to say, was pretty damn free. You know, I think that the fundamental reason why the early states were free was the existence of the frontier. And the frontier served as a natural check on how big government could get, how oppressive government could get. Because if it got too oppressive, you packed your bags, you got on your horse, and you just went 50 miles or whatever, and you just created your own new community in the middle of nowhere. That's a good point. That's and also, they couldn't, they didn't have the power and technology to rule over massive expanses of land, right? So there was some discussion of that in 1800 of once we go west of the Mississippi, we can't control it. One government can't be that big, one country. So, you know, now, obviously, with they have who knows how many millions of drones and spyware, they can spy on everyone easily and control us with their, uh, I don't know, million law enforcement federal agents. But yeah, you know, in 1800, they could barely control a few small colonies. So the technology- well, and I think, I think that's why the, the really most important uh, hope that we have is SpaceX- and private space exploration, because if we can get far enough away, they won't be able to control us. And we just, you know, recreate the frontier that existed in the first, at the beginning of this country. And, you know, we set up the communities that we want and we govern ourselves the way we want. And we give a big middle, big middle finger to- Realistically, you know, if space travel becomes, if civilian space travel becomes um, cheap enough and, and available to the public, the you know, the government will totally be the gatekeeper of all of that. And only let those even visit the other planet, let alone live there, if we had a good enough social credit score, because that's all coming. It's already being implemented. And only those who are in the party, like the U.S. version of the CCP, only those in the in crowd will be allowed to go even. So, yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. And I would agree. Years ago, I said, we need a new planet. We need to start discovering and finding a, a way to live on other planets because the entire, you know, the entire Earth is totally authoritarian now. So we need to find the next place. But again, it's scary. Like Reagan said, there's no more place to run on Earth. Like once we lose the last few states that have some freedom, which again, even Florida, Wyoming, and New Hampshire have tremendous issues that I've seen only in the past few weeks. A, a lot of bad stuff. Uh, I think was it a 16-year-old or 12-year-old girl in Wyoming, what the whole school shut down because they thought they were all going to die because her mask was not on. So the whole school shut down. They flipped out, suspended her, kicked her out of school, or, or I think arrested her and brought her to jail. And that was Wyoming. Uh, in, in New Hampshire, you know, nine people were arrested. Dick Dittosanunu had nine of his political opponents arrested seemingly. So, you know, Florida has tremendous issues too. Apparently they're rolling out their uh, digital ID cards, which is a little bit authoritarian, creepy as well. So, you know, every state has a lot of big issues. Well, listen, I'm, I'm a fan of some Mencken quotes. And I think he said, there's really never been a good government. They're all, they've all been bad throughout history, but I, I tend to more agree with um, the Ayn Rand notion of government not being a necessarily evil, but a government that protects our rights, our natural rights, is a necessary good. Um, and that having no government at all 
I think would be uh, a recipe for problems. <laughs> again, I would love a government that protected my rights because again, me, when I'm 95 years old, may not be able to protect all of my rights sufficiently. I mean, the thing is, it's the, at this point, after 240 years, it's delusional to think that a government will protect my rights because it fails to protect my rights. It's, it's also examples and it violates it, my rights every day. It's also delusional to think that people are just going to uh, live in a volunteer, uh, voluntary state and there's going to be peace and harmony. Okay, I think Reagan said this. If you can't trust people with freedom, how can you possibly trust them with power? Okay, but again, our system was set up for immoral people. So would your system. Okay, you know what I mean? You're, you're still relying on, on people to be... It sounds you know, exhausting to have to kind of constantly worry about how I'm going to protect myself. I mean, my men are not angels, right? And we're, Don't we're you live near Chicago? Right? You already have to, has to be so Look at the danger levels. No, right I now, know. Government exists and is very strong and prevents you from defending yourself with a gun in a lot of places. And the danger level is this. The homicide rate is whatever per 100,000. Under a system where there are no gun laws... I would think it would be a lot lower. You think it would be even higher homicide? I don't think so. Because again, New Hampshire is, is closer to anarchy than it is to Chicago, and New Hampshire is safer. You know what I mean? So in general logic, we have to assume the smaller the government gets. Now, you're saying there's a drop-off point, but I don't think that's necessarily the case. Because again, most people aren't murderers. Maybe one in a million are murderers, either because they're violent and evil or they're a sociopath. Those people are murderers in this system and in that system. In this system, they murder. In the other system, some of them will be deterred because they know anyone might have a gun. So currently there's a lot of crime. There will be a little less crime under my system where there are no impediments to people defending themselves. My mother lives in New Jersey, very dangerous place, decent area, but dangerous place. She cannot have a gun. If she gets a gun, even a BB gun, she goes to prison for life. So she is currently under a certain amount of danger of being violently attacked every day. If there were no gun laws, she would be in less danger of being attacked. And if she were, she'd have a much higher success rate of successfully defending herself. That's what I mean. So we, everyone here is saying if there were less laws in New Jersey, she wouldn't be safer. Of course she'd be safer. We all know if she could get a gun, she'd be a lot safer in New Jersey. So what we're saying is get rid of some laws, laws. Not all, I'm saying let's get rid of all of them. I'm on board with the less laws part. It's the that little tip over to anarchy that it's where I struggle. I've written so many more books and, and uh, articles and videos explaining this stuff. Explaining exactly how homicide works with with government and with anarchism, but I'll, I'll send that article to you. So I, I want I to talk about mind, Alu. I wouldn't mind seeing it in action somewhere. I just don't want it nationally. Like to, to why to, do you think the government has has made it a point to not let a single town or a single county in the United States experiment with this? We have thirty three hundred counties. We have what millions of towns. Let one town try total anarchism. They won't let us. I would exactly. Like, you gotta I, pay your federal I, taxes. That's I'm not. I think. I think Minneapolis experimented with with it. I think the Seattle did. I, I I disagree. That, that's because violent destruction of property, which is the opposite. But also, the whole city had laws like taxes and gun laws. So the, the whole thing laws, was totally but the up. police were told to stand down. Only that is one fundamental. But no, on all issues, on any crime, the police were told to stand down unless you were a white person. Then they were told yeah, to arrest. only in some issues. So you agree. Yeah. Okay, but but we got a taste of what anarchy looks like or what no government looks like. That's what it looks like. Again, I can't speak I for, mean, for I think, savages I think, in Minnesota. I, I think in fairness, Ed, that I'm not sure that that holds water in the sense that we're, we, we have an expectation in our society of those laws being enforced. And in that case, they, they weren't for political reasons. Now, if exactly. you're starting- In anarchy, you're start, every business okay, owner would have an AR-15. If you're, if, if you're starting media, from right? scratch, yeah. 
and and I'll lose you. You know what anarchy looked like in New Hampshire, which is close to anarchism with BLM? You know what happened? I actually went down there to Manchester, the big BLM riot or protest. There were thousands of people, half black, half white, protesting in the middle of Manchester. And guess what? Not a single store was looted or even touched. You know why? Tons of them had men with AR-15 standing outside their stores. That is what anarchism looks like. It was very peaceful. Nobody even tried to attack the stores. I don't know if they even wanted to. Everyone, I spoke to all the people there, the black, the white, the BLM, everyone was pretty peaceful. The cops, some of them were, get, were getting violent, but the actual people were very nice. And they were saying Black Lives Matter, we want justice and all that stuff. And the stores were all safe because again, in you can call it anarchism or, or essentially tiny government where there are no gun laws in New Hampshire, people, and I saw tons of them all up and down South Willow Street, up and down Elm Street, standing with their 15s In the Minnesota, we didn't have anarchy. We have the polar opposite. We have communism, anarcho-communism. Polar no. opposite of anarchy. That's such... That's such a dishonest way of characterizing is, when the government is stands down, when the government stands down on direct orders from the mayor and the chief of police, that is, that is anarchy. I mean, it may be limited in duration, but that is anarchy. That's well, also whole- limited in scope, meaning it's not anarchy. Anarchy means zero existence of government. During those riots even now, but even during those riots, ask someone in Minneapolis, does a government exist? How many laws are there? How many taxes are there? They would say billions. Right. So if all of them cease to exist for a week, then we can call it anarchism. But we've never but been the taxation. None of those things were relevant to the riots and the looting and the burning. Of course they were, because they only looted because they knew that nobody was armed because Minneapolis has gun control. Right. So, again, like like you explained with current with fascism, it's only in this state that certain things could exist in a different state where the government didn't exist. We'd have a whole different world. We'd all have more prosperity. We'd all have guns. Violent crime would plummet to near zero because everyone would refrain from, you know, even the evil people would refrain from attacking others like they do in New Hampshire because they would assume they have to presume that everyone is armed. Again, we don't live in that world. All right, let me stop you right there. Why why do you assume that they wouldn't attack instead of why wouldn't they just work together and form bigger, bigger band, bigger uh, gangs to, to try and attack? As a possibility, but there could be defensive gangs as well, you know, and it happens. And again, most people don't want all that war. It would be very, very few people in limited situations. And again, I've explained this in many articles and videos. There are a few people who are sociopathic, who kill, or who are evil and who kill. And those two people, what do you have? What's your objection to the current system? The problem is we have too damn many right now. Too many what? Sociopathic types that you're describing. Yes, and most of them are in government. I mean, a lot, most of the ones in government maybe are, but I don't think most of the sociopathic types are in government. There's a lot of them. Yeah, most of government is sociopathic. That are walking the streets. Yeah. Um, Okay, so uh, here's the definition of anarchy, according to the American Heritage Dictionary. The noun, one, absence of any form of political authority. That's it. Political disorder and confusion. Or three, absence Con- objection, any- conjecture. <laughs> absence <laughs> of any cohesive principle, such as a common standard or purpose. So not necessarily only absence of government and law, but absence of authority. You know, I guess you could exist like like Ed, you were describing in Seattle, okay government existed, the laws existed, but they didn't uphold them. So they weren't, the authority wasn't there. 
you know, selective enforcement is so not anarchism. It's actually closer to communism because it means the government controls everything and can selectively not enforce one thing of their billions of laws. Again, you guys all know this. And again, I've written so many articles and books about this. Cities and states and the federal government has literally billions of laws. We can't even count them all. So nowhere in the continental United States can we say there's anything related to anarchism. We shouldn't even use the word in a lexicon. It, unless a state totally secedes and abolishes the government, then after a year, we can say, how is anarchism in practice? But again, we've, we've never had anything close to it. Maybe a billion years ago, dinosaurs may have had anarchism. And again, then we can say, did it work well, not work well, and what worked and what didn't. But right now, we have nothing close to that. New Hampshire, in a sense, still has billions of laws and is terrible, but overall, we are the closest to anarchism, and also it happens to be the best state. Same with Wyoming and Florida and South Dakota and Missouri and Kansas. So, you know, that's what we have right now. Again, now, practically speaking, would I have been radicalized into an anarchist if, or intervoluntarist if the government hadn't been so oppressive? No. Cuomo and de Blasio and Obama radicalized me. And, and it is what it is. Would I have come to the same, now on principle, I believe in voluntarism, but I, to be honest, I probably would not have gotten this radical if not for the hardcore authoritarian communism. So there's that as well. Maybe we should steer back to some of the current events of the day. <laughs> Yeah, the uh, debate went, went way too long. The one thing I wanted to mention uh, was- Oh, it's interesting, I think. Was, yeah, dictator Sununu apparently had nine people arrested. So the uh, New Hampshire Executive Council, after a ton of pressure, they were probably going to vote two to three. So three to two to accept the $27 million Corona Fascism grant. But after a ton of massive pressure, protests of thousands of hardcore activists, mostly on the right side of the spectrum, mostly conservatives, interestingly, doing anti-Sununu, anti-corona fascism protests, after a ton of pressure, they voted four to one, so total party line vote, all four Republicans on the executive council voted to reject the $27 million corona fascism grant because the grant in, in the federal grant, which Florida and Texas, I believe, already accepted, were the only state to reject it. In the grant, it says, indefinitely, New Hampshire has to obey and assist the federal government and all HHS secretary directives from the federal government in enforcing all COVID and vaccine-related stuff and helping with vaccine propaganda and isolation and quarantine, whatever that means, which kind of sounds like a FEMA camp. So we're really glad we rejected it. We're the only state, that was the good news. The bad news is apparently nine political opponents of Sununu got arrested and they seem to be pretty politically targeted attacks. So that was the bad maybe news, but overall it's great that we rejected it. Maybe you should explain to the audience what the executive council in New Hampshire is, because I think it's a pretty unique yeah. feature of New Hampshire government. Yep, it's the fourth branch of government in New Hampshire. We have a governor and a Senate and a house. We also have a fourth branch that essentially sits under the governor, comprised of five executive counselors, each represent a large district of the state, and they are a, somewhat of a legislative or an executive body, and they have to approve all contracts, I believe, of over $100,000, and they also, like a Senate would, they also have to approve of, of nominations, I believe. They confirm judges and, and nominations from the governor. Yeah, that was some good news from the week. For sure, that they rejected that money. I mean, I'm surprised that more states are not standing up and, and rejecting all the strings that come with federal government money. Okay. Because the federal government, the federal government is getting its tentacles into everything by funding things and putting conditions on the funding. Okay, so maybe we just went full circle back to Saki saying we know that federal law overrides state law. You could just take that sentence out, exclude it now, and if the states are taking federal money under the premise of, you know, and you do this relating to COVID, in that sense, she's kind of right. Once those states take that money oh, under the pretense of now, all roads happen. And, and it is true. Then her statement becomes true. 
You took this money, therefore, ergo, you will do what we say. That happens with a lot of stuff, you know, whether it's Medicaid and... <laughs> the reason know, I say it all goes back to secession is the federal government, as you all know, gives every state billions of dollars. Every state's budget is maybe 30 to 50% federal. So they steal all of our money and they give back a lot of money. So around half of it, like our budget, around half of it comes from DC because they steal it from us. And they can say at any point they're going to cut off some or all of the funding if we don't do right. blank. Mm-hmm. If we don't do what they want, they'll cut it off. So what happens tomorrow in all of your states, New Jersey, well, communist New Jersey is totally gone. Uh, North Carolina, <laughs> Illinois, wherever you are. What happens when dictator Biden says, we're going to cut off 100% of funding, all grants to the state, HHS, DOT, all that stuff, unless you make 100% uh, corona fascism, vaccine mandate, mask mandate for everyone, and increase taxes and ban all guns. Is the state either going to secede or give in and implement all those horrible laws and make us North Korea? You see I what I mean? And this is well, inevitable. This is what's going to happen. And I've that's why question. all votes well, you know what? I, you know, Trump tried to do that when he talked about having the states cooperate with immigration, with ICE, with border, with border control. And they all basically gave him a middle finger and threatened when he threatened to cut funding off, they threatened to sue yeah. him and he backed down. So once again, you know, the, the left, it, it's not principle to them that whatever, whichever one, whichever way they win, that's that's the right way for them. I remember. Yeah. Trump threatened to maybe cut a tiny bit of funding to California, maybe if they don't cooperate with ICE because they're violating federal law. Um, but yeah, I don't think he actually even did cut any funding, but even he just the threat of it, him. California flipped out. Oh my God, he's going to cut funding. The biggest racist bigot literally hit there. <laughs> but yeah, Biden, I, I think he's already done it. And he, again, he, am I saying anything crazy? It's certainly reasonable in the next year, Biden threatens to cut some or all funding to states, starting with HHS grants or the, uh, um, just the, the CMS, Center for Medicaid and Medicare Services and not reimbursing I, certain things. They're already talking about it. If you're not you know vaccinated, what? CMS shouldn't reimburse that hospital. Then we're that, screwed. That, that might be a needed and, uh, you know, a battle that I, I would want to see in a way, because now you're really drawing a line in the sand for states to fight back and, you know, just give the middle oh, finger okay. and start to reassert their authority. Forget about middle um, finger, but it's also, it's, it's like a half step towards secession. I mean, if you secede, you're not getting federal money anyway, but this is a way of sort of right. halfway seceding. Right, so bring without, it on. Without, you know, you know, getting federal troops involved and without creating a civil war situation, this is the, yeah. a state's way of saying, you know what? We don't need you as much as you think we need you. Mm-hmm. Well, that's and- what I say. In, in the Blueprint for Liberty, I say, here's how, the most likely way secession will come about as far as the method and the steps is the federal government will keep doing what they're doing, but they'll do it more because they want to control us. They'll say they're going to stop giving us certain grants unless we do their policies, we implement their policies. And then one state, most states will give in because they're run by spineless cowards, but one or two or a few states like DeSantis or a few other governors, maybe a better governor of New Hampshire in a year, will say, okay, if you won't give us the money back, we will not send any money to you in the form of federal income tax or corporate tax. And that already is most the way to secession. If we're not giving them any federal taxes, we're essentially violating the biggest federal laws and we are seceded. And it's very reasonable. All those steps are reasonable. Yes, uh, yes to that. But even without violating federal law by threatening to arrest IRS agents in the state, I mean, just saying, no, we're not going to take your money and we're not going to accept your conditions. I mean, there's nothing they can do about that, right? I mean, they can they can rant and rave and stomp their feet, but- They can starve us. Yeah, doesn't half get the, the money, money comes from them. They can starve us for huh? all the money. Wait, right. that's- per- okay. 
What, Jody? So, no, I was just, I wanted to, this whole notion that um, the federal government can not have uh, legal power, but they can usurp power through dollars, through bribery with federal money. And obviously the founders, you know, we didn't have income taxes, but what flaw is there in our system that this was allowed to get to be such a big issue? Well, the federal income tax, for one, they steal our money and give it back with blackmail. Okay, so 1913, but- It's incrementalism, Jody. I mean, I think it's incrementalism, but I think there have been some more significant moments along the way, you know, especially especially if you look back on FDR and the New Deal and how we got away with a lot of things and the federal government were, was allowed to do a lot of things that they shouldn't have been doing, right? Does anybody I mean, so it, it, we keep progressing here and we never nipped in the bud the usurpations. Does anybody know, Alu, maybe how, how much, are there states that, you know, aren't largely funded by the federal government today? I mean, what is the percentage, for example? Sure. For New Hampshire, it's around 50%. States. I would assume most states it's around 50%. It's just um, crazy. So that really gives the federal government power. I've been saying this for years. Huh? I've been saying it for years. Yep. Okay. So they hold the strings. I mean. <laughs> so the, the scary, scary, frighteningly, the solution is to have states stand up and say, no, we won't accept your money. But what are the chances of that? Like none. Very uh, little. Grants are very rarely rejected. Like this one. Who's going to have the political will? to do that? Maybe DeSantis, maybe in a different universe, but nobody else. But DeSantis isn't doing that right now, is he? Is he doing that? I don't know if he's if he's rejecting any federal grants. I think the same grant was accepted by Florida. But again, he may want to be president one day, meaning he doesn't want to be taking power away from the federal government, maybe. Maybe he does, if he's really honest and principled. But it's very hard if you want to have the office and you think you're going to have it the next year to minimize the power of that office. So that's very difficult. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's it's about whether he plans to to run for president or not. I mean, I just think, you know, it's it's like your your the analogy you gave earlier in the show, Alu, when you talked about the the battered spouse. At some point, she's got to say, you know what? I have a roof over my head. Yeah, I do have food on the table, but I'm tired of getting beaten up, mm-hmm. and it's time for me to just stand on my own, even if I'm going to be poor, even if I'm going to have to do with less. And and maybe maybe you plan for it by saying, you know what? Uh, I'm going to put up with beatings for the next six months, but I'm going to put, you know, a thousand dollars a week away or whatever her husband makes and get, you know, whatever she can get her hands on. And, you know, in six months, she's going to have enough money to be able to say, you know what, I'm gone. And, well, you, know, you know, the leg- state legislatures can do the same thing. They can make a plan. They don't have to announce it to the federal government so that, you know, the federal government's unaware, but they can make a plan to start cutting spending and start reallocating their resources and saying, you know what, we're planning on independence. And it doesn't have to be independence by firing a shot. It's going to be by rejecting their money and keeping keeping power in our state capital. So you do support secession. Good. So that would come, you know, because I don't I don't know. Maybe DeSantis is the one that would be great. Uh, but I think that has to come at the hands of um, culture, the, the, the will of the people to push those politicians to do that. And maybe as people flock away from the blue states that are 
um, turning out to be so oppressive and they're moving to other states, maybe the, the, um, the concentration of people who want freedom into other states will start to put, push those politicians into that place where they say, we don't need that federal money because it comes with crazy strings attached. I'm going to throw a name out at you guys. I don't know if you guys listen to um, Daniel Horowitz's podcast, but he has interviewed um, the Lieutenant Governor of Idaho, Janice McGeehan. And she has already announced that she's going to be running against the Republican governor next year, uh, Brad Little. And Janice McGeehan is also Republican and she is fantastic. She has, um, she has issued executive orders when she's been acting as, as, in, as temporary or, or acting governor in the state. Um, Idaho has a, a weird provision in its constitution that anytime the governor leaves the boundaries of the state, by operation of law, the lieutenant governor becomes governor. And she has implemented, um, you know, you can't mask the kids in the schools. She's uh, passed executive, she's issued executive orders uh, that uh, businesses can't require masking and, and, and vaccine mandates. Then the governor comes back seven hours later and he revokes them all. But she's shown that she has the, the, the guts to do what needs to be done. I don't know if she's going to well, win. Maybe. I don't know if she's going to get corrupted if she does win. But I just wanted to throw that. Uh, name unless, out. unless it's just a ploy to get elected. So, you know, she knows yeah. the go- if she knows the governor's coming back and somebody has him handcuffed him someplace uh, where he can't come back. But it takes knows, a lot. She knows it's going to. Yeah, she's good. She knows it's going to be reversed. But do you think the people yeah. of Idaho back her? And her ideas? Probably. I'd imagine if, if Wyoming or South Dakota is any indication, I haven't been Idaho, but the people want the pro people, pro freedom people. It's, you know, elected officials. It's the big rhinos and elites who are probably donating to little. But I would guarantee if you ask 100 real humans on the street in Idaho, they would say they support her over Brad Little. But doesn't mean she's going to win, even if the people support her. Same in New Hampshire, where I asked every person who's on, you know, every Republican. In the primary, asked him who they supported. Almost all of them say Edel Blue. Yet Chris Sununu won the primary in 2016. So that's what happened. Same with Cheney in Wyoming. Same with almost every primary everywhere. Because those with the power win, not necessarily those who got the most amount of support from real grassroots people. So in the last few weeks, without me, we've all been talking a lot about foreign policy. Um, I generally stay away from it because it's the one thing I kind of admit I'm not an expert on and it's hard to know everything going on anyway. But there's been a ton of interesting stuff with China and Russia and all over the world over the last week. I don't know if we have a foreign policy correspondent with us, but I know pretty much nothing. But China um, tested oh, I know nothing. some hypersonic missile around the world a few days ago, and uh, they had a successful test. Does anything know about that? Know anything about that or how concerning it is? Well, yeah, they, they tested a, a hypersonic, I don't know if it was a missile, but it was some sort of, uh, if not a missile, a air. I guess it was a missile. Um, it, it missed its target by, I think, 24 miles. So it, they still need to make it more precise. Uh, but it's something that our uh, intelligence people were com- caught completely unaware of. They didn't think that China was anywhere near ready to implement this kind of technology or military technology. Um, and you know, I think that there are lots of signs that are pointing towards a war in the Pacific. Uh, China is, is ready to invade Taiwan. Um, 
I've talked a little bit on this, well, a lot on this show about what's going on in China right now. Uh, Evergrande is is a property development company that has been in that has been delinquent in its uh, loan payments since September 23rd. 30 days later from seven, September 23rd, the, those delinquencies become defaults. That's going to be Saturday of this week. Uh, my understanding is they have no means of making those payments and they're going to go into default. My understanding is that the Chinese government has been scrambling to try and protect its own investors um, and show, shove as much of the, uh, of the losses onto foreign banks and foreign investors. Um, but regardless, I don't think they're going to be able to limit the losses in their own country. Um, my understanding is that there already have been some, uh, I don't want to say protests, but um, people threatening to commit suicide and kill themselves uh, because of having lost everything without getting uh, the debt services, the debt service paid to them. Um, and, you know, we're very familiar with the whole wag the dog thing. A thing where governments that are in, in peril like to create wars in order to quell domestic unrest. Uh, China may be in the process of expediting its, its invasion plans for Taiwan. I, I've thought for a long time that they're going to do it in, in 2022, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, the worsening econo- economic situation and particularly uh, what's going on with Evergrande, it, it may speed up that process. It may happen much sooner than even I was thinking. So that's that's my take on what's going on with China. I actually just heard that the United States military does have an answer, and it's a formidable answer for the hypersonic missile. We did recently promote our first uh, transgender to four-star general, I believe, or four-star yes. official in the military. So take that. You know that That's a great counter-strike to, to that, probably even more powerful than their missile. Well, that's, you know, our our military preparedness is is from what from from my outside purview i'm not a member of the military i'm not a veteran but based on the news stories like the one you just described uh i can't imagine that we're ready to to fight a war in the pacific or even a war against you know some village in the middle of nowhere um whether we're going to defend taiwan or not we've said that that we would i'm not convinced that we will and Quite frankly, I'm not sure it's going to be a good idea if we do, because if we do, uh, I'm not sure that as between letting Taiwan go without a fight and fighting for Taiwan and suffering a humiliating military defeat, I think that letting it go without without getting suffering that humiliating defeat might be a better solution. I think it's pretty easy to see that that China's bulking up their military in a lot of ways and the United States really seems to be diminishing and and making us less masculine and focusing on getting more transgenders and minorities and females instead of focusing on getting the best soldiers. So I mean, my big question is, why is Biden and the U.S. government or whoever is puppet masters doing this? The, the, his, the people making the decisions in D.C. can't really be so stupid as to make themselves so weak that China or Russia can come in and kill us. Or is it that China totally owns them and they already own everything? Why would they want themselves to be weak? They hate this country. They're, they're trying to they don't want to die. They don't want to be killed by china they won't be right themselves right they have their little hideaways on martha's vineyard or wherever they're going to go and the rest of us can go f ourselves and i'm not sure if appeasement pretty scary is is better in the long run (laughs) 
than maybe you getting a humiliating our, military defeat would be better than appeasement. Uh, if it wakes us up to reality, Afghanistan didn't wake us up, and the other tons of things didn't wake us up. Maybe it did. I mean, maybe that was something that really start started to move things for people. I think that it did have a little bit of an effect on waking, you know, not not, not enough. I mean, but I'm just, I'm just look. I mean, we got to look. Okay, okay, but look, I mean, we, we look at history, and you have to look at Nazi Germany and how appeasement worked because we we know how that story ends. You just they become more powerful and more emboldened. No, no, I don't think any of us here are big okay. fans of appeasement. Right. Well, but that's what Ed is basically saying. No. Well. No, that I'm well, not we're saying, saying Biden is probably owned by Xi Jinping. So, I'm so okay, that 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 okay, but but what Ed said before was let it go. To me, that's I'm you're saying not, you're not fighting. No, I'm <laughs> saying that a humiliating military defeat not only will have a psychological blow to our country, but lots of American soldiers are going to die, and uh, to, to to advocate for that in a battle that I don't think is winnable, from what I can see. Uh, I, to me, you know, as awful as, as Munich was to the, for the British and the French, at least it got Chamberlain to resign when, when Hitler went and took the Sudetenland. And at least, at least it led, it led England to start rearming. And if that's what it's going to take, I mean, I'd rather not suffer a military defeat. I think that we could do, we could still wake up when China goes and takes over and, and we suddenly can't get our computer chips, which are almost exclusively made in Taiwan today. Um, I, I Another important that's... issue is, would Biden even fight on the side of Taiwan against China? Who, again, I think that's CCP, an open question. Yeah. They probably and, have and a lot of fight, Would he fight for real or would it just be a fake fight and let our men get killed? Mm-hmm. I mean, how many, yeah. what do we have? 4,000 people that are supposedly still stuck in Afghanistan that he couldn't get care less about? How many people are going to die in Taiwan just because he owes the Chinese for what they've paid him. I mean, I, I just, I, I can't advocate the deaths of all the American soldiers I, I, that I see. Look, I, I mean, nobody, nobody, nobody will want to see that. So I'm not, I'm just, I'm just trying to assess. Well, do we have but the wherewithal to fight a war there, Mike? I mean, are we, you, are we ready to fight? I don't know. I, I really don't know. I mean, I'm not an expert on that. Uh, you know, so I, I, I can't say, and I don't know what our tactics w- would be, whether we're talking about really having, boots on the ground, or we're going to try to allow the, the Taiwanese to pr- try to protect themselves and defend themselves. I, I, I'm not an expert on it. I, I don't know. But just in terms of what we're talking about, in terms of the two scenarios, I'm not really sure which one's better for us, you know, in the long run. I don't right, know. So the one more. Both are awful, but I, I just. Both are bad. I can't see advocating the, the useless deaths of American military guys. But, that's because we made a that's speculation, but that that is speculation. It's not speculation. It's a it's a it's a little bit of a guess. We know, we know for sure that we're going to get our asses kicked. You don't know for sure. But I mean, I think we have some I mean, evidence. We have we have some and not just some, but a, a decent amount of evidence that our military preparedness is not ready to fight a war with China. I mean, that that may be the case. I mean, I, I again, I, don't I, you I don't, think that's going like, to I'd worse? like I'd like to think that we we're a little bit smarter than Wait, so don't you think that our military preparedness stands to get worse and facing that reality sooner rather than later to wake up people to that reality that, you know, we're, we're not prepared, we're weak. 
we're weaker. It's better to wake people up now than in five years when it's but if, unsalvageable. If China, if China goes and invades Taiwan and our response is, well, there's nothing we can do about it. That also tells us we're not ready to fight a war. We need to get more military preparedness. I mean, the, same, the exact message that you're talking about sending to the American people through a humiliating military defeat would still be sent if we just don't do anything and China takes it unmolested. I just don't see why you know, we should kill, have so many soldiers I su- guess, suffer death I and, and injury. Either way it goes down, the, 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 the way the American people can wake up is only if they know the truth. And whether it's in a humiliating war or appeasement, the messaging of, of it is what matters. So, you know, either of those can happen and the media can completely lie about what mm-hmm. actually took place. And in that lie, the American people don't actually wake up. And let's be honest, that's typically how it goes here. Yeah, I, I don't I don't think appeasement will wake anybody up. And that, that's kind of well, the point I'm making. Again, and probably the media wouldn't let it anyway. That's I, think, just I, think, I think most people would shrug. Yeah, a lot of people are, are really... Um, disturbingly uneducated and unaware of what's going on and like the, a war they might know about it'd be hard not to, to hard to ignore that or not know but just appeasement if we let them take Taiwan a lot of people will just keep not knowing because they're busy focused on the NFL and BLM and TikTok and, and just all the, all the other crap yeah but if Taiwan falls I think over 90 percent of our computer chips come from Taiwan we already have shortages where you can't get new cars right now because they can't they don't have the computer chips to put them yeah. in the cars to produce them. Yeah, that would be hard sudden, to ignore. Huh? Okay, well, that, that would be hard would, to ignore. That would be that would be a wake up call, right? It's affecting our daily lives. But then, what do we do about it at that point? Well, at that point, maybe we start manufacturing stuff at home. Amen. Start, huh? Amen. A woman. Sorry. Yeah, a woman. So yes, you could do that. We have to channel our inner and talk about being triggered when you say things like that. Yeah. So I think one of Peter Schweitzer's books, I believe, which you guys should all read again, it'll make you have even less faith in government if possible, because I was a voluntarist before that. And now I'm a super voluntarist because, again, so much corruption. One of the things he says in one of his books, I think Secret Empires, is one of the best, uh, smallest, most efficient high tech batteries in the world was created out of a company from MIT in Massachusetts. And the government, I think Clinton's or, or Kerry's or whatever, brokered the deal to approve it. The sale of that strategic, you know, it's a strategic item. Obviously, it's a battery. It's, it's has military implications, allowing the CCP to buy that company. And and now, the, you know, this is a few years ago that gave China the best battery technology in the world, the smallest, most powerful battery. So it's things like this. Did the federal government broker the same deals with chips? I don't know. Uh, well, we, know we know the basic reason why chips are manufactured there because it's cheaper because they have less regulations and they can pay lower wages and that less overall regulatory compliance costs. And because we, again, we have in a sense, less of a free market than they do in China, they can actually produce things without a lot of regulations. They have some tyranny, but we have regulations and taxes and tyranny. So it's more expensive to produce things here because of costs of goods and labors and regulations and all the other stuff. So it's cheaper to produce it there and send it back here. So I don't know. I don't know exactly with chips, but yeah, the, the things I've heard about new cars and because there's uh, a squeeze in the supply of new cars, that means used cars go up. My brother was going to sell his truck. And then he heard that that used cars are going for like their weight in gold right now. He's like, I'm not selling. I'm going to keep holding because my used truck tomorrow will be worth a million dollars. So it's just crazy because there's no supply. So the prices are skyrocketing of new and, and used vehicles as well. And again, I, I don't know, but maybe the federal government is also to blame 
And you know me, I blame the government for everything. And almost every issue, you know, is actually the, the fault of politicians. Well, of course. I mean, the, the whole economic situation is the fault of government right now. And, uh, you know, look, I mean, we're there's- spoiled, Mike. No, Listen, I mean, fine. there's some memes out there now about Biden inflation and, and uh, showing how the prices have gone up. And I shared for our back channels how PolitiFact attacked that and was saying, oh, it's because of COVID. Well, who caused the problems with COVID? <laughs> it's government policy that's caused all the problems with the COVID supply chains. But, you know, of course, they leave out the whole economic situation in terms of monetary policy, spending and debt, uh, you know, they just omit it, you know, and so they're saying, oh, it's half true that uh, all the cost increases have happened under Biden. Well, baloney. Well, the um, left is doubling the, down. Again, the, the, point is, the point is that it, it is government's fault for our entire economic situation. We know that. I saw another article yesterday saying we need more inflation. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. what the reasoning was, but they said we need more inflation, not less. Sure. Yeah, <laughs> because then, then our uh, wages, our our gross weight, non-adjusted wages yeah. will go up. Well, we wonder how people are uneducated and ignorant when we have a media trying to push that kind of a narrative on on us. Well, you guys sure. saw when Jen Saki 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 Cir- circle back Saki. It, yeah, circle back Saki. You know, was flippant about the lack of treadmills that are available in the market. And, you know, I wish, and I think it was Peter Ducey who, you know, God love him. He's asking her great questions. Um, but I, I, I wish he would have said, oh no, it, it, maybe it was a different guy. I, I, I wish, I wish the journalist would have said something along the lines of, well, you know, the people who make a living on treadmills, you know, it really matters to them. It's not something to just shrug as, rich people problems when, when it's part of your living, part of your income. And, you know, so I was looking it up in 2020 over uh, the sale of treadmills in the United States was over $1.5 billion. So and was that the, I don't know, was that overall the United States, but you know, that's a lot of income and that's a lot of economic movement for people for her to have been so flippant about it. I wish somebody would have called her from a moral perspective. Was it her or someone else in the Biden administration who said that inflation is only like a, a first a first class problem? I think it was someone else. But did she echo it? I think she might have echoed someone it. Someone left. Some elite said it. And it's the most unbelievable thing because yes. inflation. Am I wrong that inflation is literally a problem for the poorest and then like the second to poorest and then the middle class? Because the rich can protect themselves from inflation by investing in other assets that well, are inflation protected. Like real estate and gold and silver and crypto and assets and stocks and ETFs. The poor probably don't own a lot of real estate and stocks, well, and ETFs and, and inflation protectants. So the way she responded to the whole treadmill thing, that was what she was getting yeah. at was you, you poor rich people can't get your treadmills. And again, it's not the, the, about the people who can't get their treadmills. It's about the people who need to sell the treadmills to feed mm-hmm. their family that you're acting flippant and careless about. And also those on, on, uh, stable incomes on, you know, uh, incomes that are, are the same exact every month. Yeah. Like social security, like a hundred bucks a month inflation kills them because a hundred bucks a month in, in a few years will not buy you more than two peanuts. So again, inflation hurts the poorest and the oldest. Don't worry. They all got stimulus checks in the last year and a half. So yes, true. It evens out. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Well, it's been over an hour and I have to run already. So I guess we can do closing statements for a few minutes. If anybody has anything else they, they didn't get a chance to say. 
I'll punt. Go ahead, Ed. What do you got? Did you want to talk about Colin Powell, Ed? <laughs> Colin Powell was a fake Republican. He was ungrateful to George W. Bush. He endorsed Obama after saying that he was a lifelong Republican. There are only two reasons why I can think of that he would have endorsed Obama over McCain. Uh, McCain was certainly not a Trump-like Republican, and he came to to condemn Trump later on in his life. But uh, if he was a lifelong Republican, there's no excuse for not have, for him having not voted for McCain. The only two reasons I can think of that he would have chosen Obama over McCain are skin color or ideology. I can't think of any other reason. And which, whichever one it was, it shows a really, really bad bad human being making that choice. Um, and it's even worse that he, he sat there silently while Obama trashed George W. Bush for eight years and, and Colin Powell said nothing. And worse than nothing, he, he sat and advised Obama. He went to the White House and, and was an advisor to him or an unofficial advisor. Um, so I, I see a lot of people all week have been treating him as some national hero. Um, sure, he was, a, he was a military man, but uh, if there's one thing that I've learned in the last couple of years with COVID, uh, just because you're in the military, just because you're in the police force, doesn't mean you're my friend and doesn't mean you're someone that I, that I respect. Um, I, I don't uh, respect what he did. And I don't, you know, I mean, I, you know, I don't, did, uh, uh, I don't, begrudge him the earlier achievements of his life he earned them um but you know when i'm taught when, when when the man dies and we sum up his life and we look at you know who he stands for as a as a human being i mean he was he was nominated to be chairman of the joint chiefs of staff um a because he was qualified but b like it or not it was to it was it was also by bush's way of trying to say we Republicans are not ra racists and the Republican party is not a racist party. And he benefited from the, the freedom and the, the tolerance that the Republican party offered. And he lent his support to the most racist, intolerant party and president we've had in a long time. And, you know, and he, and even this year, he said absolutely nothing while Biden has been destroying this country. He said nothing whatsoever about the, embarrassing, embarrassing is not even a strong enough word, the, the disgusting withdrawal from Afghanistan, the, the, the way it was done. I mean, I'm not a military guy, but it, I understand that you don't evacuate the airbase first, you evacuate the airbase last. I mean, that was, that was the place that they should have used as their, as their points of departure. Um, he's a military guy. He could have, you know, we, we talked about uh, Stuart Scheller on this show a couple of times. You know, he's the guy who said, did anybody throw your rank on the table? You know, where was Colin Powell to say that that was a bad mistake in Afghanistan? Where was Colin Powell to tell George W. Bush, hey, maybe nation building in Iraq and Afghanistan is not such a good idea. He didn't have any, he didn't say anything about it. So, you know, I, I hear that all these people are saying that he's this great patriot and you know, we have to mourn his death. And, you know, I mean, I don't want to spit on his grave or anything like that, but uh, I just don't share the same affection that, that the typical American seems to be 
displaying for Colin Powell right now. He's gone. Uh, to me, he didn't do, he did a lot of things that uh, I, I'm not happy with in the last 13 years of his life. And I'll just leave it right. at that. Um, I, I'm not going to dispute any of what you just said for sure. Uh, politically, I didn't agree with him. And, uh, you know, I, I think a real turning point was when, you know, he made that presentation to the UN on the WMD and he sort of became the fall guy for all that. And I think he never, I, I think he was trying to really rehabilitate himself. You know, whether you agree or disagree, I think that was part of his motivation after that, that, um, you know, he, he was, he was, he was the poster child for saying that Saddam had WMD and that was the whole purpose and re rationale given for the war. But let me just uh, say something a little bit different because, you know, I do. Harken... I just, I'll let you speak, but I just want to say yeah. one thing. I mean, if that was his goal, if he wanted to rehabilitate himself, why the hell didn't he have anything to say about the outrageous things mm -hmm. that General Milley has said just this summer? I mean, he is a military man and he was not just a military man. We have had lots of high, high ranking generals. You know, there are others that could have spoken up, but of all people, there was no one who had more stature than Colin Powell. And for a guy who you're, I agree, was trying to rehabilitate himself, he could have stood up and said, you know what, this isn't a partisan issue. I'm not a Democrat or Republican, but this is just awful. And we shouldn't be bringing critical race theory into our military. We shouldn't be abandoning people behind enemy lines and heads need to roll for this. Right. I mean, if Maybe you just answered. Well, Ed, maybe you just answered your own question and it, he didn't vote for Obama because of skin color. It was because of ideology. Okay. So oh, there's, why, there's are we, no, why are we, you know, canonizing him and, and treating him like a saint? Only the elites the are. I don't you think the right or the left are. It's mostly the elites, maybe. Yeah. No, Ed, I think you make some great points there. He, he is a person that had the stature and, and the gravitas, the gravitas that he could have stood up and, and made comments uh, toward that end. Um, the only thing I just want to quickly add is, you know, I, I mean, I hearken back to the, to the first Gulf war and where he re really made a name for himself and endeared himself to the American people. And he, he built up that reputation. If you'll remember, I mean, there was a real push of course, to have him run for president. And if he had, he, he would have upended Clinton, I think in a landslide, but I think it was more of a, I wanted to say it's a reflection on the American people, at least in that period of time, that we're, we're pining for somebody that, you know, I think had a little bit more of a, a moral standing, if you will, a, a reputation, somebody that we could look up to. Um, I'm not sure if we're, we're, we're still of that mindset, but we certainly were at the time. He, he, he could have run, he, and he, I think he easily could have won at that time, but, you know. He made other choices, so. Shodi? I'm good, I'm, I'm good. Been a long <laughs> show, so I've got, I'm good. Awesome. Yeah, uh, I don't have too much more to say besides for New Hampshire independence, hashtag <laughs> NHExit, visit libertyblock.com, visit americansups.com, and that's Americans United for Peaceful Separation. Visit another website, that's a Liberty Block sister site, uh, progressivestateproject.com. Sorry for taking up like the whole hour arguing about anarchism and stuff. I think it's just I enjoyed uh, more, it. more proof that the regular host is better than I am. <laughs>
<laughs> but I think you'll have him <laughs> back next week, so that's fine. But no, I, I do love lively debate. There's one more thing I want to debate with you guys. Maybe I'll come on next week. I know it'll be an intense debate, so it's going to be awesome. Oh, speaking of debates, Monday evening, I will be at the uh, Shell, a libertarian um, clubhouse type event hall in the Seacoast. If you're anywhere in New Hampshire, go to Rollinsford next Monday evening. I'll post the address here. I'll be debating secession for New Hampshire seceding against someone else debating me. It should should be an awesome night with fireworks. So that'll be Monday the 25th. So right. with that, thank you very much to all of you guys. Have a great day. We're going to post this later on tonight. Send all your comments to show at protonmail.com. Check us out on libertyblock.com. And thank you very much. Bye, everybody. All right, guys. Thanks, everybody. Have a good week.